This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray that you would send your holy angels to watch over us, help us as we press into the text today. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. For the past eight weeks, the epistle readings appointed for each Sunday have been from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And today we come to the very last section in chapter 6. Throughout this letter, Paul has repeatedly used the metaphor of walking to talk about what it means to live the Christian life. We've been exhorted to walk in unity, walk in holiness, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. And now, today, St. Paul tells us, using a different metaphor, not to walk, but to stand. Indeed, he does so four times. Paul's closing words to the church at Ephesus are all about how we are to stand in the face of evil. Finally, he writes, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So when you think of a soldier standing ramrod straight, think of a maybe, if you can't think of a Roman soldier, how about one of the beef eaters guarding uh, Buckingham Palace? And they may look ridiculous with their big hats, but let me tell you, those are real soldiers with real weapons. And if you try and breach the security line, they will take you down. But these concluding verses are sobering. It's important that we listen to what St. Paul is saying and we do what he exhorts us to do. As Christians, we are engaged in a spiritual war, not a culture war, not a political battle, not an ideological fight. Our struggle is not against people, but against the devil against cosmic powers, against the spiritual forces of evil. Now, some of you may be thinking, you cannot be serious. Are we really going to talk about cosmic powers and the devil? For crying out loud, it's the 21st century. Surely you don't really believe in the devil today, do you? Well, actually, I do. And we are absolutely going to talk about this. Why? Because Jesus talked about it. St. Paul talked about it. And we ignore the reality of the devil and evil at our peril. As C.S. Lewis wrote in the preface to his masterful uh, book, The Screwtape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. 
Writing about today's reading from Ephesians, Bishop Tom Wright says, what we have in the present passage and what I believe is required again and again as Christians face the daily and yearly battle for the kingdom is a sober, realistic assessment, both of the struggle we are engaged in and of the weapons at our disposal. So I want us this morning to dig into this text. First, we are exhorted to be strong in the Lord. Now, this is not some power play. It's a call to be strong in the Lord, not, our, not in ourselves. We need the strength of God's power, not our own power. And how do we do this? By putting on the whole armor of God. This is how we can stand in the face of attack. This is how we can stand against the wiles of the devil. I think it's worth saying that Paul's emphasis on standing is important. He does not say walk or run or charge into battle. He says stand. And it's essentially a defensive posture. We're not to cave or back down or run away in the face of evil. Evil. But neither are we called upon here to attack. We are to stand. Before describing this armor of God, St. Paul is concerned to tell us just how serious the nature of our foe is. Here we find no explanations of the origins of evil or descriptions of the devil, but we do have an account of what we're up against. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This letter to the Ephesians has been all about the new life in Christ, the new society that God has called us to, that as Christians we are made one family in Christ. And the church is to be a beautiful expression of unity and reconciliation, where the walls of hostility between people are being broken down and are to be replaced by reconciliation and, and marked by love. A few weeks ago, I was preaching about, from earlier, earlier part of this book, about living a life in balance. We were, Paul talks about living a life worthy of the call that you have received. And, and then the following week, Mother Andrea unpacked what it means to walk in love as Christ loved us. And then Deacon Alex uh, reminded us of our belovedness and the call to be thankful. And last week, Father Kevin challenged us not to be ruled by our screens so that we can instead be attentive to God. And all of these things are precisely what the devil hates. He does not want you to be attentive to God. He wants you to be distracted. He wants to destroy our unity, not that we would love one another. He wants us to live lives that are unbalanced, disordered, addicted, and controlled by anything other than the love of God. Now, while it is true that the principalities and powers have ultimately been defeated on the cross, they nevertheless continue to wage a fierce, relentless, rearguard action. They are wicked, 
destructive and hurtful. They do not play fair. They want to hurt you. These powers are clever, cunning, conniving, and deceitful. Sadly, the reality we live in today, between on the one hand, Christ's victory over death and the devil on the cross, and the time when Christ will come again in final judgment on the other hand, is a time that is marked by conflict. And I think we know this. We experience this. Yes, we can know and experience God's peace, that peace that passes understanding. Absolutely. But that peace is known in the midst of an ongoing spiritual battle. Sometimes we see this played out in blatant hostility towards Christians who may face persecution and death. And there is much of that evidenced in other parts of the world. More often, at least for most of us, we experience the effects of evil in more subtle ways. As we yield to temptation, as we allow ourselves to be ruled by the addictions of our own desires or the relentless, unchecked lure of our smartphones. How dangerous it is when we fail to take the devil seriously. How foolish we are when we think we're somehow above all this talk. Theologian and pastor John Stott wrote, if we underestimate our spiritual enemy, we shall see no need for God's armor. We shall go out to the battle unarmed with no weapons but our own puny strength. And we shall be quickly and ignominiously defeated. What St. Paul wants us to understand is that our struggle is not with fellow humans. For we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers. To, to listen to some Christians, you might think that our biggest struggles today are or should be against political powers, institutions, traditions, economic or structural systems. While all these things can be and too often are vehicles for evil, for hatred, division, and lies, and we are called to make a stand against evil wherever, whenever, and however it is manifest, St. Paul is telling us here that our struggle is ultimately against something, someone, much bigger and more wily. It's against the devil himself. Paul refers, verse 12, to the cosmic powers of this present darkness. It is this unseen malevolence that lies behind the evil that we can see. Therefore, verse 13, Paul writes, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. The evil day may be a reference to every day between Christ's first and second coming, or perhaps it's a reference to days of particular evil or heightened spiritual attack that we often encounter. Well, the first line of defense against the wiles of the devil is the belt of truth. And I think here Paul may have in mind truth in a broad sense, that our lives as Christians should be characterized by honesty and integrity. After all, the father of lies, 
another title that is sometimes used of the devil, is certainly opposed to that. He doesn't want truth and integrity and honesty. But Paul may also have in mind that we need always to look to Jesus, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. We live in a time when truth, as an objective reality, is often questioned or relativized or ridiculed. We can have confidence and courage trusting Jesus when he told us that we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. We read that in John's Gospel. I can't, I have to say, I can't quote that verse anymore these days without being reminded of something that happened uh, to me a couple of years ago. I was on I-279 North heading out of the city and I was a little late and I was in a hurry and I was going a tad above the speed limit and then I heard the siren and I looked in the rearview mirror and saw the lights, the red flashing lights and I knew that I was in trouble. So I pulled over. The cop came to the car, asked me for my license, registration, and you know the deal. And then I sat and I waited. By now I'm frustrated because I'm late, I'm in a hurry, and now it's even worse. I'm kind of embarrassed because I'm thinking, which one of you is about to drive past and see the rector pulled over by the police? And I'm a little bit fearful because I'm thinking, oh no, how much is this going to cost me? Will there be any points? Well, then the officer returns to my car and he says to me, do you know why I pulled you over? And I reply, yes, sir, I was speeding. I have no excuse. I'm very sorry. And then he said the most unexpected and amazing thing. And I quote, this is what he said. The truth will set you free. Off you go, just keep the speed down. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> now, of course, telling the truth is often a lot harder than that. And telling the truth does not always lead to getting a free pass. But the truth about ourselves, the truth about God, does set you free. So when our enemy, the devil, falsely accuses us, we need that belt of truth firmly in place so that we can stand and not be crushed by the false accusations that he loves to throw at us. All right, secondly, the breastplate of righteousness, another vital piece of spiritual armor. Nowadays, we too often hear the word righteous when someone's being called self-righteous, and that's obviously not what Paul is talking about. There are at least two very positive ways that we can understand what Paul is meaning when he tells us to put on righteousness. First, the life of a Christian needs to be characterized by moral and upright living, by that kind of righteousness. Yes, our conduct and our character matter. Second, and more importantly, the true Christian has a righteousness that's got nothing to do with their own moral uprightness. It is a righteousness that comes from God. 
by our own efforts, we will never be truly righteous. We will never be good enough. It is only because of what Jesus has done for us, dying in our place, taking the penalty of our sin, that we can be forgiven. We are made righteous by God's grace. And it is good to be reminded that that is how God sees us when we turn to him and we accept his forgiveness. Now, that's not what the devil wants you to know and believe and take on board. Absolutely not. He wants you to be crippled with guilt and your own feelings of inadequacy. How useless you are, how unrighteous you are. If we choose to serve God, one of the ways the devil likes to attack us is by telling us that we're no good. What kind of a Christian are you when you do that? What kind of a priest am I when I do the other? You're not up to the job of following God. Well, if you're tempted ever to feel that way, put on the breastplate of righteousness and stand. Thirdly, it's the part of the armor that goes on your feet. And this, Paul tells us, is whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. As we stand, we're not necessarily totally passive. Rather, we are ready, willing, able, and unashamed to proclaim the wonderful, powerful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of repentance, the gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation in and to a broken world. And know this, the devil hates that. As we proclaim peace, the devil proclaims war. I, I was reminded as I was preaching at the first service of the opening lines of 1984 by George Orwell, where in the Ministry of Information or whatever it is, it, it says, you know, war is peace, love is hate, and there's another contradiction. And, and we live in a time when it feels like that. Everything's turned upside down. Well, we need additionally uh, the fourth piece of the armor. We're told to take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the word used here for shield describes that long, big, oblong shield that Roman soldiers would use to protect their whole bodies. John Stott suggests that these flaming arrows of the evil one no doubt include his mischievous accusations which inflame our conscience with false guilt. Other darts are unsought thoughts of doubt and disobedience, rebellion, lust, malice, or fear. And yet, we can stand knowing that God himself is, as the psalmist says, a shield to those who take refuge in him. Stott writes, faith lays hold of the promises of God in times of doubt and depression. And faith lays hold of the power of God in times of temptation. Well, the fifth piece of armor, and hang in there, there are only six pieces. The fifth piece of armor we're told to take is the helmet of, sal of salvation. Now, if you ride a bike or a, or a motorbike, a helmet is a vital piece of equipment. A helmet, a helmet can literally make the difference between life and death if you have an accident. But the ultimate protection we have against death is not a bike helmet. It's our salvation. 
God's saving power is the sure and final defense we have to any attack from the devil, even unto death. When we choose to serve God and we put our trust in Jesus, then we can have real and lasting hope. No matter what may come, no matter what the devil may throw at us, no matter how hard life may be, we have a sure hope in Christ who conquered death itself. There is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Amen? The sixth and final piece of the armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the only piece of equipment that has an offensive purpose. Elsewhere in the Scriptures, we read, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the intentions of the heart. You remember Jesus used the sword of the Spirit against the devil when he was tempted in the wilderness. In conclusion then, no matter what evil we may face, no matter how hard the spiritual battle may be, we are not left defenseless. God has provided us with everything we need to take our stand. Now, that said... It does remain our responsibility to take up the armor and put it on and use it with confidence against the powers of evil. As we make our stand, Paul calls us to pray. In the final two verses, three verses, 18 to 20, Paul exhorts us to pray in four different ways. We're to pray at all times. We're to pray with every prayer and supplication. We're to pray with perseverance and we're to pray for all the saints. In 1970, so uh, 50 years ago, this church was in a precarious place. There were very few people on a Sunday morning. There were no children. And it seemed like we had no future. But there were a handful of parishioners who put on the armor of God and who prayed. They prayed for families and children. They prayed for people to gather to study the Bible. They prayed with perseverance for many years. And I know this because one of the ladies that prayed told me this 11 years ago before she died. And after a decade of praying, the tide began to turn at Ascension. New life was breathed into this congregation. Families started to come. Children were here. The gospel was proclaimed. And the devil did not like it. One rector stumbled and sinned and left in disgrace. But the people prayed on. What about us today? We have seen so much life and health and growth. The tent was overflowing this morning. There were people sitting all the way around outside. We have so many stories to tell of God's goodness, faithfulness, and provision. And today we have groups of people 
who are praying on different days of the week for our internationals, for our children and youth, for all of our parishioners, and for peace, justice, and reconciliation. Maybe you'll consider joining in one of these prayer groups. We pray also in our many, to, many community groups, and if you're not yet connected through one of those, I encourage and invite you to join one. In all of this, as we rejoice, as we give thanks, and as we look to the future, let us also heed the warnings, challenges, and encouragements from today's reading. And let us take up the whole armor of God each day and stand firm in the power of Christ. In another of Paul's letters, this time to the church at Corinth, Paul wrote, if you think that you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. The point being, we must not be complacent. The apostle Peter warns, discipline yourselves, therefore. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Finally, sisters and brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and pray. Pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. Amen.